We're excited today uh, to be able to have Drew Geisy with us from the Life Institute, and um, he's going to be sharing just from Haggai chapter 1 about abundant living. So Drew, would you come and share with us this morning? Well, good morning again. Hold on, I, gotta, I think i got to put my thing on here. I, I'm now fired up. Are you guys fired up? Okay, pastor's fired up. And I understand that, Pastor, because I'm always fired up on Sunday morning because you get to teach and preach the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you. We're going to have some fun today as we kind of look at this. And I got another team member coming to join me later on today. And they will be doing some additional teaching uh, over the next couple of days. But I'm just excited about this and where we're going. And we're going to start off, uh, in fact, to get ourselves in gear, if you haven't already in your Bibles there, Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going, and you know that's the book that you have devotions in in every morning of the day, right? Every morning you're in Haggai chapter 1, right? Maybe not. So if, you have, if you're not sure where it is, there's a great little thing called the table of contents in every Bible. Just look there for the page number and make your way there. That's the best way, or if you've got a digital version, it's kind of easy to get through. But I want to encourage you to, uh, to do that, to get yourself set up. But in, to kind of get ourselves set up, and for our tech team back there, I'll cue you. You'll try to stay along with me, but you, I may have to cue you a few times. So I, I see that. Wonderful. Thank you for that. But to get our brains in gear or get us thinking in the right direction, I want to start off with a story. And the story is this. It's the story, anybody familiar with an author by the name of Jules Verne? Anybody familiar with that? Some of us older people know Jules Verne. Any familiar with the story Mysterious Island? Anybody familiar with that? A few. Not, it's not one of his number one works, but it is a very popular work. So let me open up with starting with that story of Jules Verne from Mysterious Island. And there's a daring hot air balloon escape, as you kind of see on the screen here, a hot air ex balloon escape of five prisoners. And rather than making it to safety, the wind sent the prisoners out over the ocean. Things went from bad to worse when they realized that their balloon was losing altitude. They were drifting dangerously close to the waters below, and they decided to dump a few of their possessions overboard, like spare clothes and weapons, in an attempt to regain altitude. Their plan worked at first, and then eventually the balloon started drifting, drifting lower again. And then they decided it would be good to toss their food supplies overboard. They figured it would be better to be in the, in the air hungry rather than drowned in an ocean with a full belly. So they tossed their food overboard. And again, the balloon lifted, but only for a short time. They could see off in a distance dry land, and it was unlikely that they were going to make it at the rate that they were dropping. And this is when the men decided to do the unthinkable. And they got rid of one of the most essential things that they had, and that was the basket that they were standing in. And you can change that slide. And as they fell to the ocean, and as that basket fell to the ocean below, these men were clinging onto just the balloon, and they made it to Mysterious Island. You know, this story illustrates the importance of priorities. What we think that is essential in our life may really be nothing more than a weight that is holding us back. And let us turn our attention to the book of Haggai, where we can begin to look at the importance of proper priorities. If you remember nothing from our time today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, at least pay attention and remember these phrases on the screen here. And that is this, because God cares about our priorities, our personal financial stewardship should reflect God's priorities. And this statement here that you see before you, that's also there in your workbook, you, this statement here will help us apply everything that we're going to be talking about over these next couple days. So as we look at this in your workbook, you can, you can uh, see here, the first uh, point in our outline is misplaced priorities exposed. And we're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bible... 
Follow along as I read it to you. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who, er and he who earns wages does so and puts them into a bag with holes. So as we look at this, let me kind of break down this section, verses 1 through 6. We see here that Israel was given a task to rebuild the temple. In 539 B.C., Cyrus the Great captured Babylon and allowed Israel to return to Jerusalem the following year. And as we read in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus wrote an edict instructing Israel to rebuild the temple of God. But we run into a problem. The nation loses focus. The resettled nation started with the completion of the temple floor. They got that done, but it stopped there. The people of Israel, will ju are, they're just like you and I today. We get started on a project, then we think or we look around, and we see another project that grabs our attention, and our original project now collects dust. Is there anybody else like that other than me? You start one project, and there's 13 others behind it, why? Because you started them and they're not finished yet. And as you may have guessed, the project that grabbed the attention and the excitement of Israel, according to the text we just read, was the rebuilding of their own houses. According to verse, number, verse 4, it says, thus leaving the temple floor in dust. And now the rebuilding project was not just a simple basic home, according to what we read in the Word of God. But according to the text, it says they were building paneled or sealed houses. What I like to say when I read that is, these houses were nice. These houses were really nice. Like Home Depot and Lowe's, they were doing really good back then. So the question is, what was their excuse? If we take a look at the text, we can see Israel's underlying thinking. And we see it all in verse 6. See what it says here with me. It says here, it says that they had crop failure. You sown much, but harvest little. You had hunger. You eat, but you never have enough. They had drought. You drink, but you never have your fill. They had sickness and disease. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And they had financial distress. And he who earns wages does so and puts him into a bag with holes. Israel had excuses, and they had a lot of them, and they were very, very good excuses. Wouldn't you agree? Good excuses. I see that list. And I see good excuses. Yet, with the excuses flowing, it's important to note that Israel had the time, the energy, the money, and the resources to build their own homes. So what was the reality of their situation? Their priorities were not God's priorities. Clearly, they put themselves before God. You know, money is that great barometer for what we love and value most. How money is spent reveals the ultimate priorities of not just the human heart, but of your heart and mine. So a key takeaway in this, these first six verses is our activities and our use of money expose our true priorities. But let's continue on. Let's look at verses 7 through 11 here. And let's look at the cost of misplaced priorities. And let me read verses 7 through 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little, and when it, you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and all that the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. So what was the cause of Israel's struggles? What was that? God wanted to get their attention. So what was God's plan to get their attention? Take a look with me. It's right there in the text. Verse 9, they had scarcity. You look for much, and behold, it, it came to little. In verse 9, loss. And when you brought it home, whew, I blew it away. Drought, therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew. We see that in verse 10. Weak harvest, the earth has withheld its produce. Also in verse 10, frustration. I have called for a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all of their labors, all found in verse 11. I like to say it this way. Israel, they had problems. They had real problems. And these were a direct result of their misplaced priorities. They were complaining to God about all that was happening to them, and they were saying that they didn't have the time, the money, and the resources to rebuild. And God steps in through the prophet Haggai, and I'm paraphrasing now. God steps in and says, I know about your problems. I see your problems. I understand your problems, and I am the cause of your problems. I'm the one doing that. Does that experience in Haggai's day kind of feel like some of what we go through on a regular basis. We save and save and save for a rainy day, and it rains every Tuesday. We never get enough saved to get ourselves ahead. The important thing to take note here is that while God caused the problems, not every financial struggle that we go through in life is a result of misplaced priorities. Please hear that loud and clear. But in Israel's day... It clearly was, right? And we see that. So in our text, we also read twice this phrase, consider your ways. We see it in verse 5, and we also see it in verse 7. And with only one verse tucked between, um, do you think God's trying to get their attention and maybe ours also? Take note. Why does he say consider your ways? Because he wants us to take note of the importance of self-reflection. We need to take time and pause and reflect on what God is saying through the difficult times. Anybody, anybody here go through difficult times? We've all been through those difficult times, if not in them right now. And this is a time to take and pause and say, okay, God, what are you saying? I've gone through difficult times. And I can remember key benchmarks, places where God and I had it out where I got upset with God, and God graciously spoke into me. And he wanted to redirect me. He wanted to refocus me. I was like a two-year-old kicking and screaming, little temp temper tantrum. You know how they are, right? But God wanted to get my attention, and God, through our difficulties, wants to get our attention. Consider your ways. Remember Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. That's part of God's process of getting us on board with him. So God loves his children so much that he doesn't want us to continue to live the way that we are currently living outside of his priorities. So a good key takeaway here is sometimes difficult circumstances are God's way of getting our attention. Now, Israel had misplaced priorities. They were exposed. We see that in verses 1 through 6. And we saw, just saw the cost of misplaced priorities. Now I want us to take a look at is that there is hope for those with misplaced priorities. And let me read to you verses 12 through 14 and follow along there in your Bible. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Jehosh Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Is there hope for Israel? Is there hope for you and me? Absolutely yes. 1 John 1, 9, we all know this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? You guys know it, all, all unrighteousness. And when Israel repents, God responds with this uh, phrase, I am with you. Can I tell you, that's what I see as the game changer. That, that changes everything. You can go through anything in life when God says, I am with you. Would you agree with me? That's what the word of God says. And that was the game changer for the nation of Israel. The promise to be with them was all that the people needed. And they responded with joyful, energetic obedience. And the result was the temple was built. You know, we are not to wait until the circumstances of our life are convenient to follow God's will. God's given us a blueprint, a map, and it's right there in your hands. It's called his holy word. And you and I, we need to obey it. Obey it in faith. That's a challenge, isn't it, at times? To obey it in faith that he will enable us to do that which he calls us to do. Because if he's saying live a certain way, He's already provided that way for you to live. We just need to, in faith, take that step. Our key takeaway here for this is through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will enable you to do that which he calls you to do. If he calls you, he's going to be your provider. Can we all agree that failure to follow God's priorities, it can be very costly, right? We see that in Israel in Haggai chapter 1. It costs Israel a lot over a period of time. So let's take a look at some transferable principles here. We're going to look at some principles found in the Word of God. And as we look at them, we're going to see their sequential financial and stewardship applications. And for some, of, for some people, these priorities, they may seem very obvious and clear. And it's like, yeah, I know that stuff. But for others, we're going to look at this and it's going to say, that's a strange way to think about that. Well, let's take a look at it together. And what I want to talk about is the biblical sequential priorities. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And I will tell you, when we rewrote this seminar a year and a half ago, we tried to change this. We worked hard at trying to, we tried to change this. It didn't work. We came back. Why? Let me explain. Biblical means it's right out of the Word of God. What better place to be, right, church? Live out of the Word of God. Biblical, sequential. It means that there's an order of these priorities, these principles. There's an order to be considered where principle number two doesn't happen until principle number one is done. And number four principle is not done until number three is done. There is an order on how you do things. And priorities, each of these priorities that we're going to be talking about in this message, and we will touch on the rest of our time together, reflect the heart, the nature, and the character of our God. And we should seek to implement all of these in our life. We couldn't shake this, so you're stuck with biblical sequential priorities. It's a mouthful. But can I tell you, you will remember these. And these five timeless truths are structured to hang the concepts of all that we're going to be discussing this morning and over these next couple of days. And this will help you in your decision-making process to make everything sequentially in order, one after another. And then also, it's going to give you principal guidelines on handling 100% of the money and the assets that God has placed into your care. Because remember, we own nothing. We talked about that earlier in Sunday school. We own nothing. God owns it all. We just have the joy of taking care of it for God and using it for his kingdom. He also allows us to use it for our life also and to take care of our family. So we, we own nothing. God owns it all. 
So following these priorities can revolutionize our lives and align our priorities to what is seen in Scripture. So let's take a, a quick look at these five timeless truths. I'm going to touch on these real quick. They're found on the bottom of page 10 of your workbook that you have there. And if you don't have a workbook, put your hand up. If you don't have one, some guys will hand, hand one to you. So if you need a workbook, we can get one. Everybody's got one? Wonderful. Just want to make sure everybody's got one. So let's take a look here at the bottom of page 10. Truth number one of the five timeless truths is God is our highest priority. I think we can all agree with that, right, church? That's, that's something we can all like bow, put our heads up and down. Absolutely, God is our highest priority. And we see that, that number one, he loves us, 1 John 4, 9. We love because he what? You guys have been taught well. Love that. And then also we see that he died for us, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us while we were sinners. What? You know it. You know it. But also the second truth is family is our second priority. God created the family. We read that in Genesis 2. And as home and in the home is where children are to learn the ways of the Lord. We see that in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And Deuteronomy 6, it says, And the words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And then also we see in 1 John 3, 1, that God has adopted us into his family, that we have been called the children of God. Truth number three is our testimony, our lifestyle should bring glory to God. We see in Ephesians 4, 1, that we are to walk in a worthy manner of the calling to which we have been called. And also in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's, we are to do all for the glory of God. Whatever we, wh whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When, the, when that says all, it means all. Amen, church? It means all. Truth number four is that the needs of others should not be ignored. Listen for and respond to the cries of the poor. We see in Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ears to the cry of the poor, he himself will call out and not be answered. Ouch. I want God to answer me. Amen? But God is saying very clearly, if we ignore the cries of the poor, God can choose to ignore hearing our cries. And we'll also... We see here the needs of others we need to demonstrate in word and deed. In 1 John 3, 17 and 18, talks about that. Let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Truth number five is all blessings flow from God. And we're not talking or advocating the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I'll say that over and over and over because this is not what we see in Scripture. But as we read in God's word, we see that God blesses those who seek to obey and follow his word. Amen? Just like we want to encourage our kids and our grandkids and bless them for doing things that are well, God does the same with us. If we follow what his word says, God makes it very clear. There's a blessing that comes our way. And those blessings come in two forms, spiritual blessings as seen in Ephesians 1.3 and material blessings as found in Proverbs 21.5. Now that we have this little bit of a snapshot here. The question that we have is, how can we apply these timeless truths? And as we work towards applying these timeless truths in our own lives, it unleashes the power of the gospel because it allows us to use what God has put into our care for greater kingdom work. You cannot put a price tag on the soul of somebody who comes to know Christ, can you? I'm glad people invested in me to be where I'm at today. And as we take the resources that God has put into our care, we have the opportunity to be able to see others come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And as we put these principles in place, it not only God allows us to take care of ourselves, our family, our church, but also the world through our giving. So let's take a look. Application number one we have here is giving to the Lord as our first priority and privilege. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You know, as it says, it's our privilege to give unto the Lord to give of our substance, to give of our earnings right off the top to the Lord. And God blesses us back 
for our giving as we give to him. And we see that. It says in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. How does God work with that math? Subtraction equals addition. Did you ever think about it that way? God says, move it out, get it out. And God says, oh, you're going to get increase. Doesn't make, doesn't make sense sometimes, but God's math is not our math. Amen? God works with a different math equation than what we have here on earth. But let's look at some principles of giving. First, God is our model for giving. And we see that in John 3.16. For God so loved the what? That he, he gave himself. And what did God give? He gave us what we desperately needed. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need him. Every moment, every hour, we need Jesus. He gave his own precious son. And our giving should reflect God's lavish extreme, and I can't even put the amount of words on it, his giving to us. Our giving should be focused on his bride, the local church. And focus specifically, our giving should be focused on the general fund of the local church. God speaks to Israel in Malachi 3:10 about giving to the temple. And our parallel is giving unto the church today, where we are being built up, where we, we are being fed, and we are being shepherded. Here's a couple of thought-provoking quotes on giving from uh, author, preacher, Writer, Randy Alcorn, he says this, Tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's the starting blocks. I love that. And then he also says that tithes can launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. How true those statements are. And then also, we are to give with an investment mentality. We see this in Matthew 6.20. But lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When we give to a church, to this church that is passionate about people coming to know Christ and grow in Christ, we're laying up treasures in heaven. We are making an investment that will be with us for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about your giving that way? I was at my last church I came on board. It was a turnaround church. It was a church that was dying. They knew they were dying. They said, they asked me to come on board to be their pastor, to turn it around. And I, I remember going through the process of candidating there, and I said, can I see your financials? They sent me the financials. I'm looking at them. My wife's over my shoulder making dinner, and I remember exclaiming, oh, no. She goes, what's wrong? I said, I'm looking at the financials. There's no line item for a pastor's salary. Hmm. She said, look again, my wife said. I said, I did. She said, look a third time. I said, I did. She goes, what do we do? I emailed the head elder. Hey, Mike, Drew here. Thanks for the financials. Wanted to take a, a quick question. As I looked at it here, I didn't see a line item for a pastor's salary. Would I be working for free? Question mark, smiley face. Let me know when you get a chance. Two minutes later, I got an email from him. Two minutes. Drew, 5 o'clock, my house, bring your wife, dinner's included, see you then. I don't pass up a free meal. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's go. It was Friday night, we were over there, had a great meal, met the family and everything, and then afterwards we went into his study and he slid across the desk a second spreadsheet. An elderly woman 18 months earlier passed away and gave a quarter million dollar gift to the church. They carved out some of that money and they said that's going to be your salary for three years. So what do you do? You got one kid in college, another kid ready to go to college. You're taking a 35% pay cut, and they're only offering you three years' worth of income. Of course you take the job. <laughs> and it was the best ride of my life. Why? 
Because in that time, I had people come to know Christ and grow in Christ. We more than doubled the church in that period of time. And I'm telling you, it wasn't about me. It was about that woman that gave generously. Because if people come up to me in glory, oh, Pastor Drew, thanks so much. That was a great message. Oh, Pastor Drew, I came to know Christ because of your time there. Oh, Pastor Drew, my whole family came. Go talk to her. She made it all happen. That's what it's about. Application number two, save. Save. Family is our second priority, and we should build savings to protect our family. And here's some of the reasons. First, we all should prepare for the unexpected. Since we live in a world that's impacted by the fall of mankind into sin, we should anticipate things will break down and wear out. Because you know, you know that car batteries and car tires will only need to be replaced when you have the money for them, right? You know, why are you guys laughing? Well, if you prepare for them, you can do that. And the second reason to save is to build stronger marriage. Many marriage problems result from financial mismanagement and consumer debt. TD Ameritrade did a report and they found that 41% of Gen Xers, 29% of boomers ended their marriage due to disagreements about money. And according to the Journal of Family Relationships, arguing about money early in your relationship or early in your marriage is the number one predictor of separation or divorce. And then third, savings will help us stay out of debt. If you don't earn interest, you're going to pay interest. Did you hear what I said? Did you ever think about it that way? If you don't earn interest, you're going to pay interest. And with, without money in a savings account earning interest, you're likely going to incur debt in paying interest. And I don't know about you. I consider myself cheap. I'm not frugal. I'm cheap. And if I have a choice between giving the money or keeping it in my account so I can do greater kingdom work, it's staying in my account so I can do greater kingdom work. Now, we just looked at three reasons to save. Now, let's look at some key principles on saving. A couple of key principles is, number one, we are called to be proactive. We talked about that earlier. Let me read Proverbs 22.3. It says this, the prudent see dangers and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Let me read another verse. Proverbs 27.12, it says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Wait a second, didn't you just say that? Yes, I did. And here, just five chapters apart, God is saying the exact same thing. That we are to look ahead and anticipate these things. We are, we are to be proactive. So when you sit back and think, you look ahead, you anticipate future problems. And you need to proactively prepare for them. Do you know what a big future problem is? Little girls. Because they grow up to be big girls and they want big weddings, right? Little girls are expensive. And I was holding my little granddaughter, five-month-old granddaughter yesterday. And I looked at my son, and I've told him multiple times, you better start saving, buddy. Because it's going to be, she's going to want a big wedding. We should prepare for property tax bills, college, weddings, replacing cars, retirement, Christmas, vacations, everything. Second, we are called to be providers. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this. We read that men have the responsibility to provide for their families. Some think that that word provide is just getting a paycheck and putting it in the account or putting it on the table and say, hey, I got this, make it work. But what Paul is talking about here, if you go in behind and you pull back the veil of the Greek, it talks about a continuous provision. It talks about a stewardship plan, about meeting a family's obligations both today and tomorrow and the future. The reserves, and third, the reserves or savings, it's a sign of wisdom, not wealth. Proverbs 21.20 says this, that the reserves are found in the house of the rich. No, it doesn't say that. It says reserves are found in the house of the wise, not the rich. So to put it simplistically, the wise person, they have reserves. And the fool lives paycheck to paycheck. So with savings, there are two important frame, time, time frames there. First, you should save for the short term. 
like an emergency fund, and then you should also invest for the long term. And we're going to be discussing both of these a little later on today and also tomorrow night in more detail. But here's a key takeaway for this one. Savings must be a conviction, not a convenience. Did you ever think about that? Savings must be a conviction, not a convenience. It cannot be, I'll save if there's extra. Rather, it must be, I must save before I pay my first bill. So our first biblical sequential priority is give. Our second one is save. And our third one is spend. Spend, because our choices matter, we need to be timely and honorable with our creditors. Let's take a look at the principles of spending. First, we need to recognize the difference between needs and wants. The spending section of our budget should only contain necessity spending. This is such as housing, groceries, utilities, and debt repayment. Now, we all know that cable TV and streaming services are necessary spending, right? No, I'm, I'm seeing the head shake no. Good job, guys. You, you caught me on that. No. It, cable TV and streaming services are not necess necessity spending. We need to evaluate our spending and recategorize them as luxuries. We have Starbucks, fast food, unrestrained grocery budget, and this includes cable TV and streaming services. These are luxuries. They're not the essentials for life. And where does overspending habit happen most of the time? Happens in Walmart, happens in Target, it happens at, on Amazon. The question is, where's your overspending weakness? It's estimated that those who carry credit card debt month to month average, have an average outstanding balance of $10,000. You and I are called to do all that we do for the glory of God, right? All. We talked about that earlier. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10.31, that we are to do all for the glory of God. Does going into consumer debt bring glory to God? Does going into consumer debt bring glory to God? I think we know the answer. Some of the biggest idols of the American Christian include money and possessions. And what we spend our money on reflects what we love and value most. And according to Scripture, we are called to pay our debts. In Romans 13:7, and also in Psalm 37, 21, pay to all those who is owed, taxes to whom taxes, revenue to whom revenue. And then Psalm 37, it says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be counted in as one of those of, of the wicked by choosing not to pay back what I borrow. But then again, I try to live my life without borrowing so I don't need to pay back. So let's break it down in a simplistic way. A key takeaway here is living on less than you earn is a sign of wisdom. Amen? Living on less than you earn is a sign of wisdom. So our first biblical priority is give. Our second one is save. Our third one is spend. And now our fourth one is offerings. Offerings is we need to be mindful and generous towards the needs of others. Before we spend on our own wants, we should look for the needs of others. Randy Alcorn says it so well in the treasure principle. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. I like that. Raise my standard, not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving and generosity. Offerings are our giving that is above and beyond our tithe and our giving to the local church. And how do we do this? Or what principles should we apply? The principle of offering is that it involves setting aside a monthly amount, either yearly predetermined amount to meet the needs of others. And some examples could be supporting missionaries, church building campaigns, nonprofit organizations and ministries. It's helping out your neighbor who's in need. It could be helping to pay down a tax bill that some local church has that they need to get this monkey off their back. Did you hear me? I know about it. And I saw your plan that was you guys got a dream of another building that's going to go up here. Why? Because is the community getting smaller or bigger? It's growing. And as it grows, we need to have a, the space to reach more people with the gospel and to do more ministry. So this is a great use of our offerings unto the Lord. So what does the Bible say about looking for the needs of others? 
Here we have some things here on the screen here. We are to remember to pour. There's scriptural references there, and they're all there. The references are there in your workbook also. We remember the poor. We should not be stingy toward those in need. We, we please God when we encourage others, when we help and encourage others, and we're rewarded for our generosity towards the poor and needy. I love that verse. It says in Proverbs 19:17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. God says, go ahead and be generous, but hey, just remember, that's my money that you're being generous with, and um, it's not going to be a subtraction because I'm going to give you more so you can even be more generous. God's math, guys. God's math. He does a great job of it. But the thing is, we need to step out in faith and take that faith part of generosity to helping those in need. I have yet to see in the word of God that it's the government's responsibility to take care of the widow, the homeless, the poor, the naked, and the needy. But what I do see in the word of God that it is the church's responsibility to rise up and to take care of the widow, the homeless, the poor, the needy, and the helpless. Why? Because we then get the opportunity to share with them the gospel, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? That's what we get the privilege of taking what God has given to us to steward, to be a blessing to somebody else so that they can come to know Christ. That's part of God's generosity towards us. A key takeaway is this. Who can you be a blessing to? Are there individuals, missions efforts, or other ministry works or funds that are needed here in the church above the general fund that you can be a blessing to? First priority is give. Second priority is save. Third priority is spend. Fourth priority is off offerings. And the fifth priority we see here is luxuries. Luxuries, it is right for us to enjoy God's abundance. Is it right? Absolutely, yes. Without a shadow of a doubt, yes. So what is, we see this in 1 Timothy 6, 17b. It says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God actually cares about your joy. He does. So what is a luxury? To understand luxuries, you need to understand the difference between needs and wants. Remember the Jules Verne story that we, I opened up with? That Jules Verne story, in the very beginning, it came a point in their journey that that basket became a luxury for them. And they had to cut the basket off in order to make it to Mysterious Island. All they really needed was the balloon. Luxuries are good and right to have and to enjoy. We are allowed to enjoy those things. But the danger with luxuries is that we're tempted to love the gift more than the giver of the gift. And we do this. A luxury is anything that's not essential for life. Some examples of luxuries can include eating out, impulse purchases, eating out, designer clothes, eating out, shoes, eating out, various TV subscriptions, eating out, sports and entertainment tickets, eating out, fancy vacations, eating out, pets, eating out, fancy convertible, eating out. Did I say eating out? I'm glad you're laughing with me. I did that purposely. I want you to laugh at it, but it's also a big thing that we spend a lot of money on, and it's so much cheaper to eat at home. So much cheaper to eat at home. I pack my lunch every day, every day I go to work when I'm in town. Pack my lunch. If I know I'm going to be there for the dinner hour, I take my dinner with me. I used to run a convenience store for a big oil company. The markups are severe. That scared me. Convenience store gets one thing from me, gas purchases. Nothing else, because I know what's happening behind the curtain. I know, the, I know how much profit they're getting, because I ran one of them. I want to encourage you. Understand the difference between luxuries and non-essentials for life. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice house also. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having those nice things provided for you. I admit, I'm there. If there's any motorheads here, we'll show baby pictures to one another. Motorheads, I mean pictures of cars, that's, and not baby pictures, pictures of cars. 
I'm a motorhead. I have an old car. I have a motorcycle. I enjoy those things. But it stays within my biblical sequential priorities. It's in the framework, the expenses for that. So if you're not giving to the church, you can't afford TV subscriptions. If you're not saving to protect your family, you can't afford to eat out. If you're not, if you're not paying your bills on time, you can't afford season tickets. And if you're not generous to others, you can't afford that trip to Disney. Or maybe you can, but maybe you shouldn't. Let's look at some quick warnings for those in luxuries. Beware of the danger of materialism. Multiple passages listed in your book about that, but Luke 12, 15, it says, Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. God makes it very clear. It's not about this material stuff. It's all going to be burned up someday. It's all going to go. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth. Anybody ready for that? Amen? We ready? New heavens and new earth. And what gets to go with us to the new heavens and new earth? The souls of men. That's what gets to go with us, not the Corvette, not the Harley, not the house, not the boat, but people get to join us in glory. Beware of the dangers of materialism. Don't love the gift more than the giver. Wealth and possessions can destroy your desire for God and your ability to serve others. We must seek our, our value and meaning in life. Within, not within the possessions, but within God himself. And the key takeaway is having luxuries is not necessarily a bad thing, for God has provided us richly everything to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy things. He longs for us to enjoy things, and that's a critical piece. It's okay to have those nice things as long as you work within that framework of the biblical sequential priority framework. And here, I need to help you kind of remember those things. And here's how we're going to do it. I need you to join me, everybody here. Put your hand up in the air with thumb pointed up like this, okay? And then we're going to, I'm going to do them one at a time. Give, two, save, three, spend, four, offerings, five, luxuries. That's what it is. Now, I want you to say it out loud with me. Keep your hand... I, and you do not bring your hand down until I tell you to, okay? This is a teacher coming out of me, okay? So keep that hand up there. Number one, give. Two, save. Three, spend. Four, offerings. Five, luxuries. Let's put the cheat sheet on the screen here. I want you to say, keep the hand up in the air. Don't move. There we go. One is what? Give. Two, save. Three, four, five, Keep your hand up, and this is how many of us live. We live upside down. What, what's happening here is we have the luxuries first. It's like, what's that commercial? You deserve a break today. You're familiar with that one. And then from there, we got, we got that break, and then we have the offerings. Oh, the, the windmills in Texas stopped turning. They're frozen. We need to help the Red Cross get heat and energy to the people in Texas. So we're going to send some money to the Red Cross. And then from there, we're going to, oh, the mortgage is due. We're going to pay our bills. We're going to take care of the mortgage, get that taken care of. And then we're going to try to save some money. We're going to put a couple bucks away if we can. Oh, give to the Lord. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. We ran out. But what does the word of God say? What does it say? It talks about that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Bring it right back over here. And as we do that, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's when we start doing this again, where we are giving. Put the next chart up on the screen there. Where we give, we save, we spend, we offer. And then we get to live off of the, the bounty that God has given us. We have a choice. We can live like the world is calling us and screaming at us through all the advertisements and the commercials to live their way. Or we can live the way God's word says, that we are giving first and foremost to God in his work, that he says that I can help you live better off of 90% 
than you can trying to live off of 100% yourself. And I said better off of 90%. My wife and I can give clear testimony to that, that that's what, happens in our, what has happened in our life. Give unto the Lord. Can you outgive God? I can't hear you guys. Can you outgive God? I still can't hear you. Can you outgive God? Absolutely not. You can't outgive God. Because every time you try, he ups, he moves the goalpost. <laughs> and he's allowed to. Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And church, when did we forget that he does? That he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And it's easy for him to send one to the slaughterhouse to provide for your needs and the needs of others and the needs of the church. But he's just asking us to be part of that process. We have a choice here to give, to spend, to save, to spend, to be a blessing to others. And then we get to enjoy what is left over. And the amazing thing is, is when you, when you factor your personal finances in this way, as you do that, God has this unique way of allowing that extra to be available to you. But when you live like the world, you're putting it upside down. And what the damage is, it's the impact to the local church. It's the impact to the generosity of having people and having the resources for the church to reach people with the life-changing message of Christ. We have a choice that we can, that we can do here. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be processing, well, I've really blown it. I've messed this up for 10 years, for 20 years, for 60 years. We shared this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of how much of our sins? All. If we feel like we've messed up, even in this, put it into that category, the sin of poor stewardship of his resources, not mine, his. We weren't stewarding it well. Guess what? If we confess it to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, of all things that we have done. So I want to let you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the stewardship journey. God